So guys, before we, uh, before we get into the sermon, get into the text for this morning, I've just got a few announcements for us. And I'll confess, Shannon and I have not touched base about what is on the announcement slides. So I'm going to say a few, Shannon, and we'll see if the slides are there or not. Uh, guys, as you guys, as you all may be aware, this is uh, Holy Week. So next weekend, we're celebrating Easter. Uh, and as a community, as, as a church as Midtown, uh, one of the things that we do to help get ready for that is we do these tenebrae services or Good Friday services. And there are services where there's this gradual darkening as we read and uh, sing our way through Jesus' passion, through the last kind of hours of his life. Uh, if you've never been to one of those, I'll just encourage you, they're a really uh, well-thought-out way for you to engage with the darkness that is in our world because of sin and to remember kind of Jesus as he moves toward the cross. Uh, we're not going to be hosting one of our own this year because of all the things we have going on, but uh, you're invited to join either our 12 South or our Granny White congregations for any of their services. We've got a few specific times uh, that, that I think could work well for our congregation, and so uh, I don't know if we have a slide about that or not, but uh, there's an email about it that went out. There'll be another one this week. You can get more information by scanning one of the QR codes in the back on your way out if you want to get more information about those service times. And then on Sunday, we will be celebrating the resurrection here. Uh, yes, which is really exciting. One of the things, um, uh, even in the, in the moment that we're in, to remember the hope that we have in Jesus, has, it just has a, a different resonance. Uh, and one of the things that we're excited about in being in this space is that we have space for whoever wants to come, to come. So uh, feel free to invite whoever you want. We've got some little coaster-looking cards in the back. If you want some of those to give to a friend or a neighbor, uh, we'd love to have anyone who wants to to come and join us and celebrate that with us. We're also going to have someone uh, taking pictures, like making our pictures outside of the weather is good. Uh, so you'll have some of that to take home and, and have of your family that morning as well. Uh, so excited for that. Then we also have our next U35 event coming up. So... Yes, we're going to be playing. <laughs> Good to know, Allie, you're sitting in the same spot you were sitting in Memorial Lutheran, just right up there. Uh, we're going to be playing pickleball over at the uh, Shelby Park Community Center on April 17th. It's a Monday. Uh, and if you've never played pickleball before, before that's totally fine because we're going to have a clinic to start. So you can come learn how to play. Uh, that's going to start at 5.30. It'll be a great way for people who are under or around 35, it's a soft 35, uh, to connect with other people in this community, to kind of meet people in the, uh, in, the, in the same phase of life that you are in. So welcome to come to that. I think that's everything for right now. Uh, so I'm going to invite Helen to come up, and Helen is going to read uh, our scripture passage for us this morning. We are in Luke 19. And we're going to be reading through the triumphal entry. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, we'll also have it up here on the screen, uh, on the screen behind me, on the wall behind me, I guess. So this is Luke 19, yes, 20, 28 through 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? 
you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we're thankful that when, you, when we don't have the words, uh, that we have your word to speak to us. And we trust that you will do that this morning through your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, in, in preparing for this morning, uh, the idea of getting up here and speaking words feels incredibly inadequate. Uh, and so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to tell you about Jesus. Yeah. And my hope and prayer that where we're going as we talk about Jesus is that you would get to experience him this morning. That's what we're preparing you for. Uh, here as we receive the word and then up here at the communion table as we come to the Lord's Supper together, that we're here to experience Jesus. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, our king. Uh, our king who cries, our king who gets angry, and our king who suffered. And then we're going to make space, like I said, for you to uh, connect with him here at the table and, and, and in our seats. And so, Father, we, we pray that you would give us the gift of experiencing you this morning. Amen. Uh, so in this triumphal entry passage, right, and if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard this before. This is Palm Sunday. When you were a kid, you may have, like, held palm branches, and I don't know if someone, like, rides in the middle of those things. Uh, if you get a donkey, I don't know how it goes. But you, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, and it's this iconic moment uh, in the life and the ministry of Jesus, the moment where he comes into Jerusalem and where he is hailed as uh, a conquering king. And there's all of this pageantry that's happening around him and that's being captured in this passage. Things like the palm branches, like people throwing their coats on the ground, people shouting Hosanna. What they are acknowledging is that Jesus is a king. They're doing all the things that you would do to welcome a king into a city. And these things aren't only happening to Jesus. Jesus is actively participating in them. He's, he's helping to choreograph them. That's why he does this whole thing with a donkey, right? I can't help but laugh when he, Jesus says, just go and grab this donkey, and if people ask, who needs it? Just tell them the Lord needs it. Like that's gonna make it all better, right? Oh, I just need this car. Well, the Lord needs it, so just, I'll bring it back, I promise, right? But that's what happens, and, and what it shows us is that Jesus is very intentionally engaged with what's happening. He, he is taking on all of this imagery of being a king, and he's saying, yes, that, that applies to me. 
That's true about me. But at the same time, he's subverting it. He's, 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 he's changing it just a little bit. Like there's this uh, Supreme Court case right now about uh, an Andy Warhol painting, okay? Because there's this iconic picture of Prince that was taken. Well-known picture of Prince. It's been on the cover of magazines, all these different places. And then what Andy Warhol did is he took this picture and then he changed it just a little bit. He like changed the color on the painting. And in doing so, uh, he was communicating something. He was taking something iconic and he was, he was changing it just enough to subvert it and to communicate a different message. And, and there's, a, there's a court battle right now over did he change it enough to constitute his own work? But what it shows us is that that's so often the way that art works is that you take something iconic and you change it just a little bit and by doing so, you create or you communicate a different message. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here by coming in on a donkey. That he accepts all of these pieces of the king coming into the city except he changes one piece of it. Rather than coming in on a, on a, on a war horse, he's coming in on a donkey. And it's hard for us to understand how silly this is. That's like the best word for it. It's almost comic. It's almost like Jesus is riding a monkey bike into Jerusalem. Like, donkeys are small. Like, are his feet up behind him? Are they out in front of him? Like, it just, and what it's confronting people with over and over and over again is that, yes, Jesus is a king, but he's not the kind of king that they expect. And that's, that's true for us even now. It is good news for us to be reminded that our Jesus is king. Because we need a king. Because what a king does is a king comes uh, to make things right. That was the charge for a king in Israel was a king was supposed to reign with justice. And justice was so much more than punishment. Justice was about pursuing the flourishing, the wholeness, the shalom or the peace of the people that he was ruling over. And Jesus is saying, I am that king. I'm coming to pursue that kind of kingdom, to bring that kind of kingdom. But then when he comes in on a donkey, he's saying, I'm doing it in a way that you don't expect. And in the next kind of few chunks of Luke, as, as the story of Jesus' last week of his, uh, of his life unfolds, we see those ways that he, he's He's ruling and reigning. He's being a king in a way that subverts our expectations. The first way we see it is that Jesus weeps. That right after Jesus, is, as he is coming into the city, what we read in verse 41, this very next verse of our passage, it says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And the word there for wept uh, can be translated more technically as ugly cried, okay? When we read about Jesus weeping, I, I, I tend to imagine like one strong, you know, like manly tear coming down his cheek. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus was overcome with grief. He's, he's wailing, he's mourning, he's ugly crying as he is coming into Jerusalem. Does that make you uncomfortable at all? To think of Jesus that way? I think it should. Because when I think about uh, the way that we, we look at the 
just our relationship with that kind of crying, uh, when we see it in other people, it makes us uncomfortable. Like if you, if you were to imagine the President of the United States flying in here on Air Force One and as he is coming down you know, off of those steps, if what was happening as he was coming down is he was weeping uncontrollably, would that make you uncomfortable? Because that's not the way that we think about power or projecting power. The way that we think about projecting power and strength is that you, you have it together. You're the person with the plan who knows what to do in the face of the suffering. And Jesus, the first thing he does when he comes into Jerusalem and he is aware of the sin hanging over the city, of the pain that is there and the pain that is coming for them, just a few decades down the road, what he sees when he engages with that pain, what he does is he weeps. Guys, one of the... Uh, the biggest gifts of this job is getting to be with you guys when you weep. And when that happens, uh, what I often hear from you, what I hear, what, I, what I'm tempted to do myself, the first thing out of our mouth so often is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I said I wasn't gonna cry. I'm sorry I have so many tears, I'm sorry. We're so uncomfortable with grief. Our king is not uncomfortable with grief. That the fact that Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he is weeping and that we're told that he's weeping means that other people saw Jesus ugly crying. And our king did not apologize for it. And that's because he understood better than anyone who has ever lived on this earth the depth of the pain of the people around him. And that before he does anything about it, the first thing that Jesus does is he is overcome with grief and with, and with mourning, with tears because of the pain that is around him. In many ways, what he's doing is he's showing us what it means to be fully human. That Jesus was the most human person that ever lived. And to be, to be human, to have a heart that is alive and that is engaging with this world that we live in that is so broken is, to, is at times to weep, to be sad. That is where you were at any point this week. Jesus is with you. And Jesus, I think I often have this picture of, of, of when I'm weeping and Jesus weeps with me, that he comes and he joins me in my grief. Um, that's not quite right. That Jesus was, was crying and weeping for the pain of what happened on Monday before you and I ever heard about it. And so when we cry, when we feel sad, when we experience grief, we are coming to join him where he already is. And if you think about this week and, and you look at it and you're like, man, I was not af affected like I thought I would be or like I thought that I should be. I didn't cry. What, what was going on inside of me? Hey, I just want you to know um, Jesus has that covered. That he is fully man. He's also fully God. And what that means is his capacity for grief is far larger than yours and mine. That we live in a world where the downpour of 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 negative news on us is so great that our hearts cannot possibly respond to all of the pain around us. We can't take it. We're limited. If we were to respond to every sad thing we ever heard, uh, we would never do anything except cry. 
And so in our lives and in our hearts, there are walls that go up. There are ways that we, we learn to live in a world that's very broken, that's very sad. And there's something about that, guys, that is very okay. We have to do it to be able to live. But sometimes those walls get higher than we like. And in those moments, what you need to know is that, uh, that Jesus is already weeping for all of those sad things. You don't have to feel guilt about that, that instead you get to engage with him. To bring your heart to him and ask him, Jesus, uh, what, are, what are you calling me into here? That we have a king who weeps, who weeps with us, who weeps for us, who invites us into that kind of grieving and who allows us to then acknowledge uh, the gift that our sadness is, which is that it shows us the things that we love and care about. That's our king. Our king uh, is also a king who gets angry. We see that, again, just after the story of Jesus weeping, uh, we get a story of Jesus cleansing the temple. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. But our king is a king who gets angry. And that might seem like an obvious thing for a king to do. But the way that our Jesus gets angry and the way that our world gets angry are often two very different things. All you have to do is, I don't, I'm not even on Twitter, and I can just tell you all you have to do is get on Twitter to find that out. That Twitter is like a soft serve machine of rage. Right? <laughs> you can serve it up and you can sit back and you can enjoy it. And man, doesn't rage feel so good? Doesn't it? Oh, there is nothing more satisfying than my, than my rage when I know that I am right and that everyone that does not agree with me exactly the way I think is absolutely wrong. And that's what rage stokes in me. But where rage comes from, guys, rage comes from not from a place, well, from a place of love, but often from a place of inordinate self-love. It comes from loving myself too much. That often what rage, where rage comes from is from shame in my life. That's not the same place as anger that comes from love. That, that rage that comes out of shame that I have to, when I feel small and insecure and not enough for the pain that I see around me, what I have to do is get big. That's rage. And have you felt rage this week? I mean, how could you not? Of course. Of course. And what, what this passage, what Jesus is inviting us to is our king is to take that rage. He says, yeah, be angry, but do not sin in your anger. He says, bring it to me and let me shape it with you. Because what we know about anger is that anger is the emotion that moves us toward action. But that's what anger did for Jesus. That he looks at this situation of people who are buying and selling in the temple, who are disrupting people's ability to worship God, and that makes him angry. And because of his love for his people and because of his love for God, he says, I'm going to do something about the ways that people are getting in the way of the worship of God. He takes action because of that. So what his love does in him, it, it, it moves him. 
right? And that's the invitation for us. That our love for the people around us, our love for our community, our love for our city, our love for the Lord would be something that, that, that moves us, that makes us angry not at other people, but angry for, for something. And what it makes us angry for, it could be, it could, that anger could come out of us uh, in political ways. Absolutely. So for you to, to think and to consider, Lord, how are you leading me to be involved in this political process in some way? That is a totally appropriate outpouring of your anger. Yes. But what our world would tell us is that that is the only way that you can express your anger. And often what happens is that we start to, have any of you felt hopeless this week? That, that when our anger only has one outlet and that outlet feels blocked, what it can create in us is this sense of hopelessness. And what I want to remind you is that love that, that, that is in you through the Holy Spirit, that love that results in anger for, there are all kinds of different outlets that can stream out of you toward. Yes, in political ways, but also in ways that you engage with and love this community, love the people around you, love the schools in this community. I think about the work that our uh, our Napier team is doing over uh, just outside of downtown Nashville, a community that experiences this kind of violence uh, regularly. And that we have a group of people that is there bringing the light of the gospel through the ways that they're, when you buy this uh, community-sourced agriculture, this CSA, that you are helping families in that community get access to fresh food. You're participating in this ministry that is bringing light into a very dark place. That's a way of that same love being stirred up to anger and moving out. And what it gives us the freedom to do then is to be creative. To ask, to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, how are you directing this love in me that is coming out in anger? How are, you, how are you moving me? Where are you moving me? Where are you moving us? Because we have a king who knows what it is to be angry. And that anger, yes, it drove Jesus to... to to move people out of the temple who were interrupting the worship of God. But it led him to something even greater. Because Jesus knew his, his deep and abiding love was for the Father and was for us, his people. And that what he was about more than anything else was restoring our connection with God. It is anger that drove him into Jerusalem and that drove him to the cross. It's his great love for you that made him willing to suffer a pain that's unimaginable for us. Not only physically, but emotionally. That led him to not only suffer uh, with us to experience what we experience, but to suffer for us and on our behalf so that you and I would never have to experience God pouring out his punishment on us for our sin. Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to experience the punishment that we deserve for our sin so that we would never have to experience, experience it so that when you and I suffer, when we experience pain and anguish in this world, we can know that it has nothing to do with God being against us, but that in fact, even in those places, in those very places that we experience that pain, that we know that our God is for us. That's what our Jesus came to do for us. For us to know we are never alone that God is not 
God is not against us, that he is for us, and to give us a hope that is far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because Jesus, uh, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here, what we're going to talk about next Sunday, right? Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. Then he rose again. And that's the hope that brings us together today. Yes, it, it is such good news that we have a king, that we have a king who weeps, that we have a king who gets angry, but even more than that, that we have a king who has come to suffer for us, to give us a hope for a new heavens and a new earth, for a day where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. A day where we will we'll get to meet uh, and spend time with the, the six victims of the covenant shooting that will be in a new heavens and a new earth with them. A place where all, all the fear, all the, all the sadness uh, has been met with the deep and abiding love of Jesus. And that through that, uh, that it will be healed. Not done away with or erased, but healed brought into, channeled into something new and, and more beautiful uh, than we can wrap our minds or our hearts around. That's our king. And that's our king that we are coming to engage with this morning here uh, at the communion table. So I would invite you, as we, as we get ready for this, as you come up here, uh, you're invited to bring your whole self. All of your fear, all of your sadness, all of your anger, all of your numbness, all of your wh wherever you are, all of your sin, all of the rage, all of it, and to lay it out here, to lay it before Jesus and hand it over to him. To say, Jesus, would you meet me in these places? Would you meet me right where I am? And what we trust that as we do that, as we, uh, as we drink these little cups of grape juice, and as we take these little pieces of bread, that we are actually being nourished by the physical presence of Jesus, by the spiritual presence of Jesus. That he is reminding us that he's with us, that he's for us. Even in and especially in the midst of times when that seems hard for our minds to grasp or our hearts to wrap themselves around, that we have something physical, something tangible to remember the promise that he has given us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. So here's how this is going to work. Uh, the worship band's going to come up, and we've got several songs uh, lined up. And we're going to kind of worship together. And the goal is to create space for you to interact with Jesus, for you to acknowledge with him where you are and for you to invite him to be with you right where you are and to move you from that place uh, toward hope. And so when you're ready, you can join us up here at these kneelers. There are going to be three of us up here serving. Uh, would encourage you to squeeze in. We, believe it or not, we can fit like four people at each of these kneelers, okay? So I would invite you to, to get tight. Uh, and when you're ready to receive the elements, you can put your hands out. Uh, and you'll be served the bread and the juice. If you want prayer, uh, you can cross your arms. And the people who are up here serving will pray for you right where you are. And if you're here this morning and you are unsure about this Jesus thing, you're kind of checking it out, um, I'm so glad you're here. But this table right now is not the place for you to experience Jesus because this is the place for people who are coming to Jesus and are saying, Jesus, take all of my sin, take all of who we are, all of who I am, 
But I want to tell you that Jesus is still here to meet with you. Right where you're sitting, Jesus is here to meet with you. Would you open yourself up to him? Would you be in prayer? Would you be curious? Would you sing along? And would you ask the Lord uh, to show himself to you? Because he wants to do that. And if you're here this morning and there are parts of your heart that you were saying to God, hey, you can't have that actually. That there's sin in my life that I'm unwilling to repent of. There are things that I'm unwilling to hand over for you. You had to deal with that first because what Jesus says is that this is a table where he pours his love out over us as people who desperately need it. And love is, his love is a love that takes all of us. Demands all of who we are. But if you're willing to come up here and say, Jesus, I need you, then come on. Come, come and experience him. So our Lord Jesus, uh, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray for us, and you're invited to come to the table. Jesus, we thank you that you are king, that you are a king who weeps with us, Lord, a king who is angry at the sin in this world and at what sin has done to us and to the people around us, Lord, and that because of your great love for us, that you didn't stay where you were, but you came toward us, that you left your heavenly home, that you would come among us to not only suffer with us, but to suffer for us and to restore our relationship with you and with the Father. Thank you. And we pray, Lord, that you would allow us to taste and see that this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.